Around the world and across the ages, this is NeuroLive Fan Presentation brought to you by The Cam Today. This is Steve Crocs. Hi everyone, this is Supergram. Hello, this is Janathus from The Cavern Today. Hey there, this is Dalkin Starbine. Hi there, this is Dean from The Cavern Today. Hi, this is Akira for The Cavern Today. Hello, this is Anthony from TCT Tech and The Cavern Today. Hi all, this is Fairlon. Hello, this is Andy. Hi, this is Miles from The Cavern Today. And this is Moak, your host for The Cavern Today's 20th podcast for the end of October 2006. It seems that the holiday season is fast approaching. And with it comes the unveiling of that much-anticipated Uru Live going, well, live. Doesn't it make doing your holiday shopping seem more tolerable, knowing that one of the best presents is well on its way for you? I'd like to call this podcast the Kitchen Sink Edition, as it includes everything but. Somehow that didn't go over well with the staff. Well, in this, our 20th podcast will be bringing your weather report, a third exclusive interview with Rand Miller, a musical selection called Mystify by our own Delanor, TCT Tech version 1.4, an interview with C.A. Greywolf of the Guild of Greeters, a little behind-the-scenes peek at TCT, episode 5 of Journey of the Called season 2, a Dunny Olympics report, a new piece by Ian Moreland called Jungle City, and finally, Toraneko's Journal. So sit back and enjoy our end of season 1 podcast 20, for as one door closes, another opens. Echoes of a journey's past. Here's the weather. Hello, this is Dalkin Starbine for The Cavern Today, bringing you your news and weather reports. The summons of winter are coming in, and the weather is cooling down. It's not so cold down there in Atlanta, though, at 66 degrees, and things seem to be keeping clear and sunny for the time being. It's chilly in Spokane, though, at 53, and there's some scattered showers out there as well, so plan on bringing a parka with you if you're planning on traveling there anytime soon. It's bright and clear at 64 degrees in New Mexico, but things are cooling down a little in the cavern, coming down to as low as 58 in the more remote areas of the city and the hoods. And now on to the news report. With the approach of Uru Live, GameTap has announced something that will excite all of our Canadian listeners. That's right, GameTap is now available in Canada. The Dunning Games were also held this in last month. And it was pretty exciting this year, with events including cone balancing, the Relto Island Hop, chemo sprints, and many other exciting events. Also, voting for the new DRC liaisons is now over. Your new DRC liaisons are CA Greywolf, Ellery, Tweak, Vortmax, and Gadrin. Congratulations, liaisons! That's it for your news and weather reports. This is Dalkin Starbine for The Cavern Today, signing off. Thank you, Dalkin. Well, I recently put in a call to Cyan to see if Rand was available. He'd said he might have time for us sometime, and sure enough, he was eager to talk to us. 
but phones being what they are, there were some slight audio issues. But don't worry, they clear up after a minute or two. Hello again. This is Mo Wag for The Cavern Today, and once again, we are thrilled to welcome Rand Miller of Cyan Worlds. Hello, Rand. Hi, Moog. Nice to be here. It's great to have you back. It's, a, it's kind of a different situation than when we last spoke. I think the last time that I spoke with you was right after you had uh, brought up the Damala shard, and it's a very different world now. <laughs> Damala was huge news, but, uh, but now that beta's going on and live is on the way, it's a pretty exciting time to be an Uru fan. Well, we're, it's, it's getting better and better, I can, I can say that. It's a good time to be at Cyan because we've got... Uh, we got a lot going on. We've just uh, uh-huh. that's also the, the hard part is we've got a lot going on. <laughs> it's not like you're scrounging around for something to do, you know. Oh boy, if you could only see the bug list we've got. Anyway, on to business. I think that the dream of any interviewer is to ask questions of guests that they haven't been asked before, and that's pretty tricky when you're speaking to scientists because the uh, central topic these days, Uru Live has been covered so exhaustively in the gaming press and forums, etc., and there really aren't that many areas that you guys haven't already explained to us at great length. So uh, please accept my apologies up front for asking some of the same questions again for our listening audience. Hopefully we'll reach some folks that hadn't, you know, hadn't seen the questions before. Uh, we are really thrilled to see the debut of Uru Live on the horizon. And one of the things I think we all find the most exciting about this release is the promise of new ages to explore. I read where you're still aiming for substantial updates each month. Is that still the case? Uh, we're still aiming for that. As, yeah. as we've said before, we've, we've definitely got a reduced staff. So uh, yeah. we're trying yeah. to act creatively and give what we think is as substantial as we can give uh, each month. But, yeah, we're still aiming yeah. for that monthly monthly release kind of thing. Uh-huh. Well, on that note, do you see, um, see yourselves being able to add uh, staff to cover the extra load if this ramps up and really takes off? Yeah, I think a, a lot of the future of Uru and what it is will depend on on, uh, on how it ramps up. And, and yeah. even to a certain extent, just how many people we get um, at the beginning. And I, and I don't think we need anywhere near what, what we needed back when we launched a few years ago. Um, <laughs> costs have come down. Yeah, the numbers they were quoting then were scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was... That yeah. was back in the heyday. At this point, you know, uh-huh. server server costs are down, bandwidth is down. We've got yeah. uh, uh, we're pretty efficient at what we're doing, and so it's it's not a huge number. And I think you know we break even, and we can start moving upward from there. Yeah, and I guess it's a very different prospect hosting through GameTap versus the previous arrangement. Yeah, it, it's actually very nice for us because we've got uh, we've got the chance to. Um, let's see, how do I put this diplomatically? Um, <laughs> we get to spread out uh, our appeal, not just with Uru, but with all their, their other catalog of games as well. So, yes, exactly. So it's not purely on our shoulders to, to make people feel like they're getting their money's worth. And I've I got to say, with the recent deals, it's, it, I, I feel like uh, it's pretty easy to get your money's worth. So, Well, I just re-enrolled at the annual rate, and... Uh, yeah. We'll see. Today's the nineteenth. I think it expires on the twenty-first. But just to take advantage of that, of that special rate, it went over well with my wife. Now that we'll spending half, <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. that we'll be spending half as much for Game Tap. Yeah, uh, I actually, I actually yeah. did the same thing. Just did it uh, two uh-huh. days ago. So I'm in the same boat yeah. as you. That was a that was uh, hard to pass up that deal. Yeah. Well, actually, the little you know we've read about the uh, the monthly big updates of the new ages, new content, and things. But there's also talk of a little incidental, you know, changes in scenery and little incidental elements that will appear between the big updates. 
Uh, can you say anything about those? You know, there's there's kind of multiple ways that we keep people um, intrigued with Uru, or we have multiple tools at our disposal. And you mentioned the big things; those are the ones that everybody's going to want to see every month. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's the main course of gameplay. But there are also these threads of of uh, sto stories in the background. Little yeah, changes. and I'm going to get into the story later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but and and little changes that come in that that maybe give um, hints as to what's to come later. Um, mm -hmm. and little pieces. I mean, even even as much as you know, changing the intro movie gives clues as to as to you know where things are going and how things have yeah, changed, yeah. changed from the from the last. Uh, from the last time we launched, how the story has <laughs> progressed, and um, there'll be small uh, bits and pieces um, with regard to story and with regard to gameplay as as we you know move on. I think people will mm -hmm. will start to see those things as we kind of open them up. It's very interesting because I remember vividly during prologue, all it would take is for a uh, a barrier to disappear, and suddenly it hit the forums, and then. Crowds would head down to the city to see the new area that had been made available, or to access that area without <laughs> elaborate means of jumping over the barrier. <laughs> right. And, uh, right. Yeah, and so there were little things like that that drew so much attention, as well as story elements. Yeah, Those were huge. I, I mean, they drew fans down in a big way. I think that's just making good use of the content. And to be honest with you, I mean, I, we're not the ones who who design that. You see that every every week on television, frankly. I mean, mm -hmm. I think if you watch Lost, you realize that, uh, <laughs> that they've got the story laid out and they dribble out yeah, bits yeah. and pieces and sometimes it's, it's more satisfying than others, but everything, uh -huh. um, everything gives you another piece of the puzzle and you're, you're pretty happy when they, when they open up another, uh, when they take away a little blocker like we do and you get to see a little sure, bit more. Sure, yeah. It's funny just how much attention something like that can draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've made we've made note of that, um, and, uh -huh, and in the uh -huh. long run, I mean, a lot of this is still experimenting, seeing how people respond. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's interesting to note that once again, and we see this over and over, that um, the the uh, subscription rates and the interest in in online products jumps dramatically when new content gets gets ready to be released. And I think you've seen that with World yeah, of Warcraft. Yeah. And, and when the word gets out, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, or something new in Uru, you got to see it. Yeah. Exactly. So if so if Uru is based on that premise, it, it's just a matter of um, kind of capturing people's imaginations and moving forward. I think it's sure, think yeah. just part of human nature. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of content and seeing content, you recently did an interview with Joystick, and you described uh, to some extent the two-level experience that will await us in Uru Live. There is the visitor level and then the full age explorer, for lack of a better term, where we'll get the full you know, story plus puzzle experience for a nominal fee. Um, or as a visitor, again, you know, just sharing the common spaces to socialize with other folks. Uh, can you describe that a bit and perhaps enlarge on each of those aspects? And will any of the story itself be available to visitors? Or will it be up to we age explorers to introduce the visitors to the story that's going on behind the scenes? Ah, great questions. Um, you can see, you know, if you were in charge of this, where you'd go with that, and we're probably doing that exact thing, which is... Okay. <laughs> which is, uh, ultimately, we wanted people who weren't even paying to have access. We love the community. Sure. We don't want to hinder their ability to meet together and our ability to meet with them and the ability uh -huh. to... Uh, to 
keep keep the threads connected there. But in sure. the long run, um, it costs a lot of money to both make this thing and serve it, yeah, and, and all those <laughs> things. And we've got to cover cover the bases with that. So, mm-hmm. with that in mind, we thought that it would be very fair to let the community access um, primarily neighborhoods, um, so sure. that they can yeah. form their own groups, they can uh, meet with all their friends, they can. Uh, uh, find the going goings on that are you know, everything that's happening in the cavern, um, but mm-hmm. the content, which is what's costing us a lot of money to both build and deliver, we figured yes. we, would, we would keep uh, purely for the paying people, and that includes sure, gotcha. uh, that includes most of the storyline. And I I suspect that there'll be pieces of the story that'll that'll cross through the paths of the free people, but but for uh-huh. the for the most part, um, it'll be word of mouth. From the people who are actually, okay, uh, who are moving into the into the new areas, who are seeing the new stuff and and finding out how the story progresses, going back to their neighborhoods and telling yeah. people who may not be who may be coming in for free what's going on. That's great. I like that idea because some of us apparently like to hear ourselves talk, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll be the ones to to spread the word and really do what we can to spread the enthusiasm. Yeah. Well, there's um, there's actually something. There's something very cool about having people who are storytellers as well. Um, and yeah. frankly, I mean, uh, when you look at it, the, the next best thing to living the adventure is, and we've said this before actually, is is having someone tell the story. And yeah. When, yeah. You, when you have something to tell, you want to go share it with people, and you've got sure. an avenue now with the people who are just we, in for free. Guru evangelists, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, just telling the story. <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, if I could diverge a little bit here and talk about Mysterium, a very personal note because I was able to go, and that was fabulous. I want to thank Cyan again for really rolling out the red carpet for us. It was amazing. For me personally, it really deepened my experience in Uru, and now that I've met many of you folks who have brought it to life, it's, uh, it's made it a much more real, real thing to me. I mentioned in one of my cavern features previously on Mysterium, that receiving a spontaneous bear hug from Rawa <laughs> really drove home the point that Uru is brought to us by real people, extraordinary people, and Uru for them is a very personal statement. Uh, on that note, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to work in a field where you're laying your you're laying your dreams on the line, so to speak, and where your survival as a company depends on the public's acceptance of those dreams? It seems very intangible, so I'd just like to hear your impression. Oh boy, um, I mean, it's an honor to be to be truthful. I mean, Mysterium was as much a much of a um, of a great thing for us as it was for for the fans because mm-hmm. we get to do the same thing. I mean, we we have these uh, short little names and and little avatars that gives us this very yeah. imperfect glimpse of. Of people in the in the cavern through a glass darkly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you know, putting uh, putting real f- uh, flesh and blood to to that is really uh, um, like like you said, it's it's an extraordinary experience. It's just uh, yeah. um, you know that that's the thing that that makes it real. And frankly, you know, we there's such great people in uh, in Uru associated with. The Mist franchise. That's that's what makes it different. I mean, I don't know that. Yeah. You know, the World of Warcraft uh, uh, <laughs> annual event would would be so uh, uh, interesting as the as Mysterium yeah. is. Um, just really well, we didn't see many weapons at Mysterium for starters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, any <laughs> Which weapons, was not a bad thing, you know. Any weapons were probably uh, you know a little tongue in cheek at that point. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. So so laying my dreams on the line is 
I mean, as far as the fans go, it's great. Uh, the problem with yeah. laying your dreams on the line is, um, you know, we're, the dreams are an imperfect. The dreams that you guys will see are an imperfect, imperfect representation of of what's in our imaginations. Just like yeah, the, and I think like we understand that because they get kind of filtered by the technology down into something that we'll play. Yeah, and, yeah, and even uh, yeah. I mean, even the technology and our ability to to create them and the resources we have at our disposal and the time we have. I mean, just everything yeah. gets in the way of actually realizing what we want it to be and. Yeah, and that's as frustrating now as it's ever been because we're, well, yeah. we're a lot smaller now. <laughs> We've got a lot less time to crank this thing up. We're fighting uh -huh. you know, battles on all fronts to kind of get it out there because the the, what we want to really do is get it launched. That's the thing that we've been waiting mm -hmm. for, for for so long. So, you know, we just yeah. we just want a chance to get things going so we can ramp up and get essentially um, bring better and better dreams uh, or representations of sure. our dreams as we move forward. Yeah. Well, that's neat. Well, kind of related to that, here at the Cavern Today, our program is something of a blend, <laughs> from bad to worse, yeah. <laughs> but there is uh, stuff we like to do, I mean, stuff that we personally like to do, and then kind of related to that is the kind of stuff that the community wants to hear and likes to hear, and hopefully uh, most of our features fall into both categories. Uh, do you go through some of that when building ages? And that is, is there some kind of a Catherine Atris dichotomy between the dreamer and the realist when you put your ages together? Oh boy, I'll tell you. I don't know if it's a Catherine and Atris dichotomy, but it's. It, we have a, so many things pulling us in different directions, and there's the ideas we have are tremendous. I mean, you should see our, you know, the uh, the drawing board. Um, yeah, but. Yeah. Um, we have to fit those. We have to fit these fantastic uh, places with the storyline that we're building and the history sure. uh, of Dunny and how it fits into all that. The continuity yeah. with the, with with the past and yes. um, the puzzles and the gameplay that have to fit in there as well. So we've got all kinds of uh, 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 I don't know tugs from every direction that kind of in a lot of ways keep us from um, we're not it's not a blank piece of paper that that we work with now I've got mm -hmm. to say that that has both good and bad aspects to it and by the way um, you know I, I think we're less constrained than other franchises m might be given the fact that our our story allows you know these ages that can that that were just written in books so I don't want to mm -hmm. give the impression that we're too strapped, but but also yeah. when you go into a meeting to design these things, having those constraints gets you started right away. You know, okay, yeah. we can do this. We have this many people. You know what you can this. do. Yeah, yeah. You know where the story's progressed. It's going to drive things. You know uh, what what you need sets for th certain things that move forward, um, and so you, you've those things also steer you in the right direction if you look at it the <laughs> right way. And yeah, honestly, you don't waste your efforts in areas that just can't happen. <laughs> right, right. And honestly, yeah. I think that, that um, good design is founded in knowing what your, uh, your limitations are, um, frankly. Yes. And designing <laughs> with those in mind, uh, with success uh, uh, in mind, wrapped around those limitations. If you, if you try sure. and go bigger than those limitations, you're going to fail. And if you, yeah. if you try and go way less than those limitations, you know, you're going to fail. And, I, and by fail, I mean yeah. you won't live up to, to, uh, to, your, uh, to truly what, what you can make you know, at that sure. point. Sure, understood. I, As a designer myself, I, I know what I can't do, 
and I think that plays as much of a part in my work as knowing what I can do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, even in the early days. I know not to commit to things that I can't, that I can't <laughs> deliver on. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely true. And even in the early days with, uh, with Manhole, frankly, in Cosmic Osmo, I mean, we were... Uh-huh. We had, we knew we were designing that in an environment that was just hypercard. It was just static cards, yeah. and, and even with Mist. But we that limitation we used it as a feature to a certain extent. You, you sure, know, yeah. How far can we push this and still be successful? Um, it's not a bug; it's a feature. Yeah, exactly. If you can't, <laughs> yeah, if you can't yeah. fix it. Feature it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of bugs, <laughs> I know that a lot of fans are currently taking part in the Uru Live beta. Uh, can you tell us how things are going so far and some of your experiences since beta started? Uh, well, let's see. Good and bad. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you that. We, we have had, as everybody knows, we've kind of rewritten a lot of the server code from the ground up with stuff yes. that we had wanted to do early on and never got a chance the first time around. And mm-hmm. the good news on that is the servers have been incredibly stable. I think we have very few crashes on the servers, which is very which cool. is unusual um, from the from the from our first go around. Um, so we've mm-hmm. got some really nice stable server code. Now, um, mm-hmm. also um, though, with that comes the little bugs that have crept in, and uh, uh, we have a couple around here that are incredibly irritating that we uh, we're having a hard time tracking down and it's weird because they they sometimes um, uh, one in particular just a network error um, sometimes will come up over and over and over for certain people and and other people uh-huh. it will come up just on rare occasions but anyway that's one at yeah. the top of our list and it's it's well, the intermittent ones are the hardest ones to nail down. Yeah, yeah, that that one's yeah. driving. You can us never crazy. duplicate it when you need to. Yeah. And then the other, um, the other issue I think everybody knows we've we've done is uh, is a physics has replaced the the physics engine for a, for a yeah, number of yeah. reasons, um, and that was I think much more difficult than what we thought. Um, yeah, uh, there is so much interaction via the physics engine in Uru. Yeah. yeah well, how will that? Af- yeah. Well, how will that affect Uru as we know it? Well, I think eventually? There's, there, there's much more in Uru. Uh, one of the things that is, frankly, from my point of view, very impressive about Uru and the engine that we're using is the persistence capabilities of it. In other words, yes. there's not a lot of online games that that deal with a persistent. Um, uh, they have a a, a real. Uh, Ability to leave doors open, leave doors closed, lights on, keep yeah. the cone, yeah. leave it here. And in addition to just simple persistence, we've built physics into that as well. So, so you know, mm-hmm. if you knock a cone down the stairs, it travels down. People see that, and it stays where you left it. That's a, mm-hmm. That was really important to us because we wanted reality. Well, like mm-hmm. you said, persistence is just in everything in the world. And so switching that mm-hmm. engine out was, even though it was necessary, has brought all kinds of issues. So that's one of the things, actually, yeah. probably people are going to have to be patient, patient with, even after we launch, because with, with, with such a core component being ripped out and put, and put back in with a, with a new one, yeah. I think we're <laughs> going to see lots of little issues around that. So our main yeah. thrust here has been getting any of the big issues out with the physics so that... Understood. So that, so yeah. that it's like you've replaced the whole backbone of the thing. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we want to make it so people can play the game, get through it, and... And then gradually, you know, get the little irritating things out of the way as we as we tune yeah. up that physics engine. And the other part is that mm-hmm. we get updates in the physics engine ourselves from, mm-hmm. from the company that also fix sure. things as we go on. So, 
So yeah. that's well, going to yeah. be interesting to watch and see as we as it, as it gets better and better. Uh huh. Well, see, I was thinking just last night along these lines of the immersion of the environments in Uru has always been so good, and the physics is a big part of that. My first experience with with multiplayer online games was watching friends play Counter Strike and looking over their shoulders as they fragged each other and. <laughs> It fascinated me. I'm not really into shooter games, but I am into visual things and that sort of stuff. And while they were hiding behind crates and sniping each other, I was looking at the textures on the crates, you know, and, and just admiring the maps and the environments in general. And in Uru, it's so different because we're not only able to freely explore at our own pace, but we're encouraged to. And it's a big part of the experience. It's an essential part of the experience. Right. I, mean, I even remember... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say... And in Uru, the textures that you see on the crates might actually mean something. It might have something of historic. Definitely, value as yeah. Well, but yeah, I know what <laughs> you might saying. want to write it down. Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. As an example, I've got. I think it's Need for Speed Three. It's one of the driving, driving games, and it's a lot of fun. But I would find myself slowing the car down and kind of exploring around the little village that you drive through, normally at breakneck speed, trying to set. Records and I was slowing down to look at the buildings. You know? <laughs> so there was—it's <laughs> just me, I suppose. But that's perhaps why Uru and the whole Mist franchise in general has appealed so much. Is I love the details. Right. I love to take the time to to enjoy where I am. You know, kind of to soak it in. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I don't. I think that mm-hmm. the Mist franchise has proved that it's not just you. That there's a lot of yeah. people who who you know that there's a time and place for the for the. Uh, uh, Twitch games, you know, that you want to have some yeah. fast reactions, but but generally speaking, it's so much more satisfying to explore. And granted, yeah. um, you know, exploring someplace boring is, you know, gets gets a little tedious. But if sure. if you know that there's things here that mean things, and there and there's story wrapped in it, and there's a history, and something you stumble upon, mm-hmm. you may be the first one to notice it. And that yeah, that, yeah. that gets interesting, you know that, and that's. Actually, I mean, I have to agree. That's the part I love about yeah. the games that we make. You know, that's the part that's... Well, it introduces subtleties. Yeah. It introduces subtleties into the experience that just aren't in the other titles, and that's one of the reasons it appeals to me so much, is I like, I like to sweat the little details, you know. And it's so satisfying to find something and to realize, oh, gosh, this relates to something I've seen somewhere else, and to make that connection. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I'm trying to be sensitive to those things, to, you know, to... Enhance my powers of observation. Right, right, right. Well, um, I made the statement in our cavern forum, just uh, in general chatting around, that the live, well, actually, until Uru, basically, had a real atmosphere theater about it. Uh, you guys were essentially testing the stage and the sets and the props prior to the opening of the actual drama. And, in fact, I saw until Uru as being sort of, of like playing around in an empty theater <laughs> while the acting company was away and waiting for the actors and producers to return, bearing scripts. Uh, can you go into how the story will actually unfold once the infrastructure is solid? And can you explain how that story, or it's always been the central feature of every missed, every missed title, how that story uh, actually will be delivered once the explorers start pouring in? Oh, that's, that's a great way to put it, because I think we feel the same way. And we, yeah. we have both, I mean, it, it makes us a little bit sad uh, you know, because we we got a live beta going on, and uh-huh. and we've got to let people test the sets. We've got to let them wander around yeah. in there. We've got to let them see the stuff that it would be nice to kind of uh, keep um, 
secret for a while. Um, but, sure. But you can't do that. You have to. Yeah. Uh, you have to let people test it. But, but, um, I mean, the story is going to unfold similar to what we did before, where you've got, um, um, boy, oh boy. Um, you, you've got <laughs> trying not to give away too much. Yeah, yeah. we've got to figure out how to balance this. I mean, things have yeah. changed um, in the cavern, and mm-hmm. I think you're going to notice that they've both changed and stayed the same. We're going to have there'll be some some initial setups of of the status of where things are at, and uh, mm-hmm. some uh, attempt to uh, to uh, set up. Uh, some structure to kind of say, okay, let, we're we're back on track, and let's let's get moving. Let's find out why we're here and what this is all about. And then yeah. from there, um, I think there's some elements that people will be surprised about. Some things that uh-huh. um, that um, that may happen that that don't fit in the normal scheme of things, or that people may, really really may not have anticipated. And that's the uh-huh. frankly, those are the things that are fun for us. Those are the things that neat, neat, even neat. though you've seen the sets and even though you've seen the pieces and even played, you know, the game for a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. you you won't know what's what's coming up. Um, yeah, and that's what that's very what good, you, very good. Yeah. Yep, the element of surprise. <laughs> Absolutely. Very good, very good. Well, we've talked in the past about uh, such community contributions as user ages, etc. Um, do you have any thoughts on the roles that the various community groups, and there are several, even the Cavern Today, for example, will eventually play in Uru Live when it it comes on? Those of us at the Cavern Today have talked about this in the forums and in Skype, etc. And we visualize our role changing quite a bit as Live comes up. Because right now we're kind of of trying to entertain the community, to entertain ourselves, probably more than that. We're just kind of biding time until live arrives. Uh, can you see how our uh, role will change and the role of the other community groups as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, once again, I mean, I, we don't want to give too much away, but the sure, same understood. things that, that, that you guys and other players who are intimately familiar with Uru know and understand and would like to see if they were designing things... Those are the same mm-hmm. discussions we have, and okay. taking advantage of of the community and the way that they've built uh, their own structures and fitting those into a more formal uh, aspect of Uru is just seems like such a natural thing, and it's a very yeah. exciting. Well, like I mean, building a virtual guild system or something, or yeah, I mean, all of yeah. all of what Dunny has to offer um, is and, and all the history of what. Uh, what Dunny was was because uh-huh. of uh, of human human nature and the tendency to to build societies in a certain way. Well, guess sure. what? We're humans, and and here we are back <laughs> in the cavern, and uh-huh. um, much of the same stuff starting to happen again. And sure, and it would be great to formalize that. And yeah, uh, and we're very excited about you know where all that's going. So yeah, well, so are we, and are kind of anxious to hear. Of any developments as they come along. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be yeah. too long before before you start to see stuff happening along that line. No kidding. Well, okay, we'll <laughs> we'll be waiting. Okay. <laughs> well, I did want to say a little something about Game Tap. I work in a grade school as a facilitator in the computer lab and as a first level tech support. I'm kind of like the resident geek in the building, and <laughs> I work with the teachers and kids. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, in our last school newsletter, I do the newsletter and the school website as well. I put in a, 
a nice big plug for GameTap because it appears that in uh, looking through GameTap myself, I found that there are like 63 games in the family category, and they include almost everything, all the games we play at school, and we've just got a handful of those games there. And so I pointed out to you know parents and to kids, hey, here for a nominal fee on GameTap, you can play all those games we have at school plus 50-something more. And, of course, the... My ulterior motive was that their uh, parents might, you know, might jump into Game Tap and see uh, all those ads for Uru Live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never know; he might pull in a few that way. <laughs> oh, that's actually a great. Um, that's something I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. Um, and I, I did the same thing. I went in with my daughter and looked at a lot of the older games and some of them that you know I considered family games that were really mm-hmm. intriguing. I mean. One of the things that's interesting to me is even having Spelunks up there. I mean, something that I yeah. considered I'd never see again. We put that on the shelf, we shipped it, and, you know, it was dead. I yeah. didn't think anybody would be able to play that again. And here we have you yeah. know, a game that's that's geared toward, you know, family entertainment. It's got a, a tinge of of uh, of education in it, if you want to call it that. But it's... Well, sure. But it's... Um, I mean, I, and, and to be honest, I'm not I'm not trying to pitch GameTap other than I... I I subscribe. I mean, I pay for a subscription, yeah, and, yeah. and I, I love it. I mean, I think I'm getting incredible amount of value um, for for what they're offering. So, and yeah, and then to yeah. get Uru for nothing is part of the normal fee. Well, yeah, it seems like a sweet <laughs> deal. So, so I'm. It almost worries me because you guys have to make something. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> out of this, so the thought crossed my mind. Well, you know, that I'm only paying in four ninety five. Yeah. No, we're. Is any of this going? To, uh, I think we're planning on the future, and I think we're we're just happy to get Uru to give Uru another chance. I mean you can imagine yeah. not letting it have a chance and I've said that before, that's the worst. I don't mind failing yes. but 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 not given a chance to know whether you you know, It's an entirely different not. situation that's then. Tough. Yeah. So so having it launched Yeah the rug pulled out from under you it's very different than failing on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is yeah. a chance we were willing to take. And you know, I mean, if, if Uru uh-huh. does well, maybe we'll make a little money later on. We're certainly not trying mm-hmm. to make money right now. We're just trying to yeah. to get Uru launched and, and see, if, see if we can give it a, a valid shot. Yeah, yeah. You're setting the stage and, yeah. Well, as a parting shot, I couldn't resist this. Uh, you may remember uh, during the original Star Trek phenomenon that Leonard Nimoy wrote his autobiography in a title that I Am Not Spock. And I wondered that when you write your life story, will it be called I Am Not Atris? <laughs> <laughs> or I Am Not Osmo or something like that. Oh, man. Um, I was curious. There are some Trekkies in the audience, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, that is that is great. Yeah, I think, um, you know, at some level, I, I'm kind of... Um, I'm kind of glad to have the chance to be Atris. And you guys know mm-hmm. I've said this before... Um, yeah, I also don't ever want to do that anymore. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah, it's and it's nothing to do with uh, with that character. And the and, yes. you know, if you're an actor, I think it makes a big it makes it hard being typecast as somebody like Leonard Nimoy yes. was. But I'm not an yeah. actor. I mean, so I feel like I was privileged mm-hmm. to actually get a chance to to play some somebody like that and and well, get sure. that experience and and actually now have it in my past where I don't have to. Think about that. Yes. Again. Now, <laughs> you Osmo, know you can do it. Another, yeah. Well, uh, there's another story. I might, uh, you know, you never know. I might actually enjoy being Osmo again. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, really? Well, we'd look forward to that, all right. Our son would be thrilled. Yeah, never, <laughs> He's 20 years old. You never know where Osmo <laughs> He's 20 go. years old, but he'd go nuts with a new version uh, of Osmo. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Like, we're still waiting for Color Osmo to take yeah, the we have We have bits and pieces of that done, and at some point we'd love uh-huh. to take that one on as well, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I remember seeing the screen clips years ago, and they looked yeah. really good. It was like, oh, gee, Osmo's green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that one's still close well, to Well, before hearts. we wrap this, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, is there anything else you'd like to say to the community? Well, as we in my usual spiel, which is, which is thank you so much. Um, once again, the community has mm-hmm. stepped up. We've got a lot of uh, people signed up for beta, and that was huge. That makes a big impression to, to yeah. GameTap. I think the next big push is... Uh, is to see how many people sign up to GameTap once Uru is launched. And, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I know you guys know this as well as we do. We're, we're not making money on this, and GameTap's trying to charge a pretty fair price for what they're doing, but they need to see subscriber mm-hmm. numbers go up. So so go pitch it to sure. your friends, and don't sell them something, something you don't believe in, but if you think it's a good deal, um, mm-hmm. spread the word. Um, we'd sure appreciate it. Yeah, and, sure will. And at some point, you know, maybe we'll get... Uh, We'll get ramped up and get some more people here, and Uru can be uh, all that it was meant to be. What it should have been in the first place. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, I thank you very much. It's been a treat to talk to you again, and uh, uh, thank you for taking time from your busy schedule. And uh, I'm off today, so you're not inconveniencing me. (laughs) No, thank you, Moog. It's it's uh, it's always a a real uh, pleasure to chat and spread the word a bit. So thanks for the opportunity. You bet, and we look forward to our next conversation. For The Cavern Today, this is Mowog signing off.
That was a tune called Mystify by Delanor. Now it's time to hear from TCT Tech. Hello and welcome to TCT Tech version 1.4. We know that you folks know why you're here. But should you not know why you're here, then we don't know why you're here. But it looks like a little that is creeping back into Genesis. That's right. Tech information you don't want from people who don't care. Uh, I'm not I'm not even going to go there. Sinead is here with my co-host, Anthony. The one who can actually back up his ego. <clears throat> Which he admits he has an ego. Before we get started Everyone today, has an ego. I wanted to just let the world know that I switched back from yucky onboard audio to my X-Fi Extreme Music sound card. There will never be any going back to onboard. It just doesn't compare to the X-Fi. I'm happy to be back in my crystal clear 24-bit audio made it with my THX certified speakers. Yes! Yeah, those incompatible sound cards. <clears throat> incompatible with what? what? What are you saying? You've got stuff that doesn't run with it. That's why you switched in the first place. Hmm. Sounds like it's time for Anthony to say the next line. <laughs> no, you're going to explain yourself. I sacrificed that game, which I wasn't enjoying all that much anyway, but I kind of missed it because, you know, nostalgia. To the greater picture, the better sound, the THX sound. Until the next time you want that game, and then you're going to have to give up the THX sound again. The plan is that my future laptop will play it. (laughs) Onboard sound. Well, you have no choice. He shoots! He scores! (sighs) Getting back on topic, since you don't have anything to say, this segment will be primarily covering CPUs. We'll be addressing memory, and to a small extent... Read the script, doofus. <laughs> That's why I stopped. <laughs> this segment will primarily be covering CPUs. We'll be addressing memory to a small extent, since it fits in well with the CPU, and there's not much to say about it, aside from the fact that more is better. Exactly. More memory, more megahertz, more money, more horsepower... More is better, and even more is even better. Yeah, you're generalizing a bit there. Just a little. Yeah, a little. Just a tiny bit. (laughs) Anyways, when looking at CPU, there are several important parts. You've got your clock speed, frontside bus, your cache, and a few smaller pieces like the pipelines and the vaults and wattage, but we're not going to go into those, really. Now, when you're looking at the clock of the... CPU, you're looking at how much data it can push through straight out based on each cycle it goes through. If you've got a computer that has a one, let's just say a one gigahertz CPU, it will do one billion cycles of information in one second. A hertz is one cycle a second, so. A megahertz is a million cycles per second. Right. Now, a thousand megahertz is a billion cycles. A gigahertz cycles. or a billion. Yeah. You might think, well, that should be my primary thing I look at, and that's the most important thing. In fact, Intel was pushing that a while back. Yes, they were. Rather misguided effort, I must say. But it's only a piece of the puzzle. You can take same iteration of a CPU, same core, and generally, the faster you have the internal clock, the faster the chip is. But you can't generalize that over different series of CPUs or even different companies especially. 
the front side bus can really affect how fast that internal clock actually can get information. The front side bus determines how much information gets to the CPU itself at a certain amount of time. If you've got an internal clock on the CPU of 3 gigahertz and your front side bus only works at 400 megahertz, you can see there's going to be a good constriction on the amount of information that's actually able to get to the CPU and you're wasting a lot of that speed inside it. That's where the Macs were supposedly faster than PCs for a little while because their front side bus and the CPUs always ran at parity. Yeah, but, but these that days parity now... doesn't necessarily mean much because the designers have ways around the fact that it's hard to get a front side bus as fast as a CPU. Well, then you have the, you know, you have branch mispredictions, instructions actually making through the processor, and you, you have to ask the question, is the bus actually being saturated? In some cases, right. that's not happening. Most Which may, may simply be because the CPU isn't being fed. One of the primary ways they get around the fact that you can't feed information. I mean, I know of no CPU today that has a bus that is fast as the CPU directly. They cache information. You have your RAM, which feeds information to the CPU. If you had a front-side bus as fast as the CPU, RAM as fast as the CPU, then hey, you wouldn't and need And storage as fast as the RAM. What? And storage as fast as the RAM. Yeah, storage as fast as the RAM. CPU will spend cycles waiting for data to be fed from the hard drive. Yeah. Then you wouldn't really need anything else. You wouldn't need to worry about these different speeds. But because there is this difference in speed, they need something else to uh, hold the data and be able to deliver it as fast as the CPU actually requires it. So they have cache on the CPU itself. Almost every CPU has two levels of cache, the level 1 cache and the level 2 cache. The level 2 cache is bigger than the level 1, almost always, but it's slower. It's really fast in its own right, but it's not as fast as the level 1 cache. So basically what it does is information gets delivered from the RAM at a certain speed. The level 2 cache tries, you know, the CPU tries to figure out what it's going to need and grabs that stuff from the RAM and stores in level 2. Then level 2 holds that and the level one, you know, CPU requests what it wants in level one and moves it up. And by doing this you can, you know, keep track of from the CPU of what it needs and feed things in to keep ahead of the line. Now it's a really tricky procedure, as you can imagine, but most CPUs have been designed very well and know how to do this very well. They can predict pretty accurately. Intel CPUs are well in the 90s on their prediction rates. With a certain program or a certain piece of data loaded, there's only so many outcomes and it can load certain variables that it expects to happen. And in some cases, since the cache usually exceeds the amount of instructions by a great amount, plenty of options can be stored. Yep. Where the Penning 4's weakness came up is that if it mispredicted any part of the uh, pipeline, you'd have to flush the whole pipeline to start the instruction again. And it yeah. had a long pipeline. And it had a long pipeline. So it has to flush the entire thing, move everything back in the line, order it as it really needed it, and start going again. And it took a little while. Yeah. So I mean, it doesn't seem like long to us, but... <laughs> yeah. If you, we couldn't even count the milliseconds, but... In other case, it's long the, enough to affect your speed. One of the other performance variables in the CPUs that uh, AMD has known and Intel has learned is the length of the pipeline. 
Uh, you'll find the AMD CPUs tend to have less pipelines than Intel counterparts, regardless of which generation we're talking about. Uh, yeah, the, even today. The slowest processors in our current uh, comparison is uh, the Athlon XP, which only have six. But its nearest competitor, the Pentium 4, has anywhere from 20 to 33. But the stages on the pipeline in the Pentium 4 were smaller, supposedly so they could drive the whole pipeline at a higher clock speed. That was the whole thing behind the Pentium 4, was marketing higher clock speeds, because people thought a 3 gigahertz Pentium 4 is the fastest there is, because that's the fastest clock speed I've ever seen. Uh, unfortunately, system performance variables do not entirely hinge on the clock speed of the CPU. Some of it has to do with not only with the clock speed, but the design of the CPU and the supporting systems, which includes memory, hard drive, and what have you. And how efficiently it can move that information. <laughs> yeah. So it, pipelines are, just think of an assembly line and think of, you know, assembly lines making different types of objects, and you, you're pretty close to what a pipeline inside a CPU is like. Through my uh, short evaluation this evening, it appears that most users out there are either using Athlon XP or Pentium 4 processors in their PCs. Although neither Anthony nor I, nor I use them, but the split is close to 50-50 between those other two. Um, Athlon XPs have a reasonable range of processors, clock speeds, front side bus speeds, cast sizes, and a single pipeline design that carried throughout the, the uh, entire architecture. Yeah, the Athlon XP was the flagship of Athlon for a long time, yeah, it, and for most of its time as their flagship, it was being the Pentium 4, but... Towards the end, Intel's ramping of its clock speeds started pulling it ahead. So, But not in everything. Not in everything, but in a good deal of things. Enough yeah. that AMD decided they needed to come up with a new architecture. Well, Anthony's rushing ahead here, but Pentium 4s, on the other hand, are hard to classify. Uh, to give an example, there were three revisions on the, on the L1 cache, three revisions on the L2 cache, four revisions on the frontside bus speed, three revisions on the pipeline that I know of, uh, different supported memory types, and there were, there's at least four that I can think of now. There's different memory speeds, different clock speeds, different front-side bus speeds, four revisions on the cache size and location, because they they were jimmying the numbers around and adding actually an L3 cache at one point. What we're saying here is that it's simply not enough to say, I have a Pentium 4. It's like saying I have a car, or as Anthony might have said before, like having a GM car. It's just not specific enough to tell you what kind of hardware you actually have. Yeah, very complex. As you said, there are many things that support it. Support, there were three different types of memory that you could use with a Pentium 4. You know, you had your RAM bus memory, your DDR, DDR2. And they also had SD-RAM versions. Yeah, so that makes four. Those were ungodly slow. Yeah, but... The Pentium 4 was a really long line of chips. They had many different cores, and multiple times there was enough revision to the core that they could have said, well, this is now a Pentium 5 instead of a Pentium 4. But they never did because they were trying to maintain a brand. So Pentium 4, I believe, was their longest-lasting chip, as you might say. <laughs> And their Even though it was mistake. actually like five or so chips. Yeah. The performance crown passed back and forth through the generations between the Athlon XP and the Pentium 4. The the latter Pentium 4 is, as Anthony said, winning the performance crown in the end, uh, due largely in part to industry optimization and their clock speeds. 
However, the successor to the Athlon XP, the Athlon 64, put the Pentium 4 in its place, and in its place it stayed. A very in- embarrassing situation for Intel. Until yeah, the Core it, 2 Duo. It's something in their place for a long time. Intel was never able to really counter the, you know, the Athlon 64 with the netburst architecture at the uh, Pentium 4, but they spent a long time designing things that would improve the efficiency of that chip. They moved the memory controller, the thing that tells the CPU... Are you talking about the Core 2 Duo now? No. This is for the Athlon 64. Oh, okay. They moved the uh, memory controller onto the chip, the thing that requests the things the CPU needs for it, and to lower the latency. And they did a lot of things like this to help make sure the Athlon 64 was as efficient and as fast as it could be, even while running at a lower clock speed than the Pentium 4. And Which had some upsides and downsides. Upsides were, of course, the performance. The downsides were that uh, motherboards had to be kind of stuck with the technology for a little while, just like, like they, Athlon 64, until they changed the socket and the design, was mated forever with DDR until they made it a new memory controller and a new chip with that memory controller and therefore a new socket to fit that new chip with a new memory controller and then you can move the new memory. And so, yeah. and so they, the, their uh, changes have to be necessarily more conservative but in the beginning their performance was could not be argued with. But as you said, that was until the Core 2 Duo. Intel didn't just sit down and say, oh, we're doomed, we give up. For a long time they fought and tried to say, well, we can beat this with higher clock speeds like they had with the Athlon XP. Or we can add more cash. I mean, right. they tried all kinds of little tricks. Retooling the Pentium 4 just didn't work. It was a dead-end direction. So they fell back on something they had been using for a while now. They had this little processor they had developed back in Israel for their, you know, their laptop computers that you had called the Pentium M. This thing was pretty good. It, you know, it was weaker than the Pentium 4 in some areas, but in general, it was better clock for clock at getting information out than the Pentium 4 in general usage. So they said, well, since we can't beat them with the Pentium 4, let's take this Pentium M, beef it up, and make a new chip to try and outdo the Athlon 64. And the core was born. The interesting thing is this chip has beat them without, in most benchmarks, as far as I know, without a lot of the tricks that AMD had used to get the Athlon 64 up to spec. The memory controller is still off the chip. They have a front side bus, unlike the Athlon 64. It's a really big front side bus, really fast, but still front side bus. So it's interesting. And for now, it looks like Intel's going to keep the performance crown. So, if you have to ask for a recommendation, what do you want to do with your computer? You want to play Uru? You're looking forward in life? I would, I think a, a dual-core processor, regardless of whoever you decide you favor or want to go with, is going to be a good idea. So, yeah. that's the Athlon X2 or the Intel Core 2 Dual. The bang for the buck is going to be in the Intel Core 2 Dual, uh, which is also furthered by the fact that the DDR2 RAM is cheaper than DDR RAM, which was a surprise to me. I don't know why that's happening, but that's a good thing. Well, they're selling more DDR2 RAM now than they are DDR RAM. 
so that brings us to the memory component. To give you some concrete numbers, uh, 512 megabyte is probably the minimum you're going to want to be happily operating in Windows XP. One gigabyte is the sweet spot of price slash performance. And finally, and to be clear on what RAM is, uh, when Anthony was talking about cache, L1 cache is closest to the CPU. L2 cache is second close to the CPU. L3 cache, which few processors actually have that, of course, is third closest. RAM is like the fourth level of data close to the CPU. RAM is where all of your environment is loaded into. When you're on your computer and you're looking at your windows and you see your desktop and all your graphical environments, that is all loaded into memory. Anytime you load a program, that's loaded into memory. Storage, or hard drive space, um, is where all those things are loaded when not in use. An easy way to say this is that if you turn your computer off right now, anything you didn't lose is on the hard drive. The reason that it's kind of confusing is because memory is starting to get measured in gigabytes, which means that when I talk about two gigabytes of onboard, or excuse me, two gigabytes of installed memory, and people said, well, no, I've got 30 gigabytes. I'm like, no, that's hard drive space. This is memory I'm talking about. And hard disk storage. Yes. So it's, it's a little hard to make it absolutely clear. I hope I have. The RAM is faster than your hard drive, and that's why your dynamic environment, your Windows desktop, and your applications are loaded there while you use them. You'd be amazed how slow it feels if you're not using RAM. Oh, one other thing. There is a part of your hard drive partitioned, sort of. Actually, not really partitioned. It's kind of just marked on the drive itself by the operating system as what's called page a... File. The page file. Yes. The page file acts as, like, secondary RAM when if your RAM happens to fill up, the page file is there as a backup. But you never want to get to that point. If you get to that point, you will learn what... Slow is... You'll, you'll, you'll learn patience. That's what you will learn. <laughs> Especially if you have a slow hard drive. That's it for this TCT Tech segment, and that's it for Anthony. I mean, that's it for TCT Tech for the Cavern Today podcast season one. Join us in the next podcast season where we'll kick off our TCT Tech version 2.0, which will be covering the whole system integration. It's not just a fast CPU or video card. It's both. This is Janathus. And this is Anthony. <laughs> Signing up. Janathus was a bit restless after his chat with Anthony earlier. He managed to corner C.A. Greywolf, and he's given poor Wolfie a good old-fashioned TCT grilling about the Guild of Greeters. Over to you, Janathus. Hello again. This is Janathus. Today we're here talking with C.A. Greywolf about the history and the infrastructure of the Guild of Greeters. Welcome, Wolfie. Thank you. Good to have you with us. Now, my first experience with the Guild of Greeters was my first attempted login to Prologue as a result of the clerical error. I played through the cleft and quickly made a beeline for that hood book, the one new book on my bookshelf. I linked to the neighborhood, saw two people on the fountain with strange symbols on their shirts. They waved at me, but before I could go anywhere or do anything, I linked to my desktop. In this case, perhaps Yisha thought I was unworthy for the step in the journey. In either case, it wasn't until later I found out what the symbol on the shirts represented and further what the Guild of Greeters was. So Wolfie, tell us, how did the Greeters come into existence? Well, the way it uh, initially began, uh, the Guild of Greeters was the sole idea of Ron Miners, uh, the then 
Miss Community Manager for Ubisoft, who felt it was especially important that Uru Live have a core group of people that would be in a position to welcome people into the community, help orient people to Uru, help in Uru as requested, and overall form new ties with the folks coming in. They would act to immediately show new folks coming in what a wonderful community they were joining. Ron Miners then presented his idea to Cyan Worlds and Ubisoft, and they both favored the idea highly. Ron Miners did craft the original mission statement, and others implemented it in, a, in very meaningful ways. Ron then contacted Tiara, who he felt was highly regarded in the community already, and asked her to lead this new group. Uh, the core group brought in to help bring this idea into reality consisted of first guild masters that included Ali, Dave Three, Doug Chugger, Jenny H, Larry, Shy One, and Two as One. These are the people responsible for getting GLG started and ready for launch of Uru Prologue. The uh, first 100 greeters were recruited during the beta due to the fact that they were already familiar and knowledgeable with the game and exploration and were ready for the public launch. All greeters participated in the refining of the GOG, including coming up with the name Guild of Greeters. Our current logo, designed by Two as One, was picked from several designs that had been submitted and voted upon by the then current greeters. On 9 November 2003, the Guild of Greeters website and forum were launched. The website and forum were set up so the GOG had a centralized place to continue being of service. This would be a great way so that any explorer that had a question and needed any help could easily find help outside of the game. The website and forum would be managed by the same group of dedicated seasoned explorers that would volunteer their time to help others in learning the ins and outs of cavern life. The original group of greeters consisted of people relatively new to the Miss scene as well as many longtime fans of the games. This idea started with Ron Miners as a suggestion to Cyan Worlds and Ubisoft. It started with a small group of explorers that ballooned to 100 starter members in Prologue, later leading to the creation of a website and forum. When and why did Cyan make you an official guild? Well, this is where... I actually had to get clarification myself on this, and after speaking with Grey Dragon, and I'm going to quote him right now, is, an interesting feature of Mist Online Uru Live is that oftentimes the line is blurred between official and unofficial. We like that. The Guild of Greeters was formed years ago by a group of fans guided by Ron Miners who wanted to help out. Shortly after the Greeters came into the game, they saw a need to have some sort of logo to be recognized by. Cyan determined that giving t-shirts to this group would allow them to be more helpful in the game. The greeters have become an integral part of the fabric of Uru and we hope that they return to the cavern and bring their hospitality with them. To further explain, the Guild of Greeters was formed during the closed Uru beta and became the first official guild recognized by Cyan for a specific purpose. This being to help any and all explorers coming into the cavern and to have a core group that would be there to welcome these explorers. Cyan Worlds had ideas for other guilds, but this never came to be with the sudden closure of Uru Prologue a short two months later. The Guild of Greeters was launched and made official first because at the time this was the most important aspect in order to help as many people as possible coming into the cavern. 
So you have a cyan-sanctioned official guild that adds an official tone to that all-important function that you are providing. So what sort of treatment do you get, greeters get from the community? This could be called a love-hate relationship. Many commend what the greeters do and their purpose. Others tend to resent the greeters and the GOG. Uh, the reasons can be many and varied. We have been called elitist and snobbish and have been ridiculed while others have nothing but praise for how a greeter helped them when they had no clue as to what they were supposed to do. My personal feeling on this is that many do not understand or know how the greeters came to be. I think that many feel that a group of fans just arbitrarily came up with the idea and made it happen, which couldn't be any further from the truth. This is an unfortunate misconception that many have had about the GOG. We have a core set of guidelines that we are required to follow that had to be approved by Cyan Worlds and Ubisoft, and this is what we still follow today. We do our best to remain neutral and outside of many of the discussions, though this is not always the case. The first recruited greeters were selected during beta to enter Prologue. With much happening behind the scenes, it's easy to see why people might misunderstand the origins of the Guild of Greeter. Did the Guild of Greeter first go into action during Prologue? Yes. And what was it like during Prologue as a greeter? This was an amazing time, and we were all very active and quite busy. We had welcomed and helped so many new explorers, we were there to greet them, answer their questions, and give advice, guidance, and hints as needed. I think I can speak for all greeters in that we were doing something we loved, helping people. I personally had met so many wonderful explorers and made many good friends from these encounters. The simple satisfaction of knowing that I helped even a handful was comforting enough. It was not about being special or for any notoriety. Many greeters are totally selfless and very giving and loving people. The day that closure was announced was quite devastating to many of the greeters as well as all of the explorers, not to mention the many who never got the chance to even experience what Prologue was even like. Uh, that would be myself included, being a little afraid of the unknown with Uru Prologue. How would you say the days of Prologue contrast with being in the Guild of Greeters now? Uh, the Guild of Greeters has gone through a number of changes since the closure of Prologue. Many felt that the GOG would cease to exist after this. The GOG decided that we could still exist and to continue on with what we do best, helping new explorers. We broadened our horizons to give help with all the missed games. Then, when Until Uru was released, we quickly formed a Guild of Greater Shard to continue where we had left off. While we may not be as active as we were during Prologue, this is quickly changing again with all the new explorers coming into the cavern. We have never lost the initial idea on which the GOG was developed. With the coming launch revival of Mist Online Uru Live, we are already preparing for the coming launch and will be there to continue greeting all the new explorers and helping any who need game or exploration advice and or direction with game related content, or in the very least, a warm smile and a hug. The GOG and its members have also either participated in or were instrumental in many of the events held on multiple charts, including the Dunny Games, up on the roof parties, St. Patrick's Day parades, etc., and a number of other events over the past two years. Now I've heard the term frontline greener. What are they and what are they for? Or what exactly do they do? 
Our specific purpose is to welcome any and all explorers that come down into the cavern, whether totally new or a seasoned fan. We answer questions, give hints, nudges, though we do try to avoid spoilers as not to ruin the experience, and or give advice regarding game-related content. We give directions, explain how the key works and where to get their key if needed, uh, explain the purpose of the Nexus and how it works, and we also explain the marker missions and give hints or outright spoilers if desired on where to find any markers. Our primary purpose is to hopefully make the new explorer feel welcomed and comfortable and to relieve any confusion or, or overwhelming experience to make it a more totally enjoyable one. So these explorers will want to come back and spend time in the cavern. The greeters are a group that refrains from in-character I see discussion as we prefer to remain neutral. Some graders are quite comfortable discussing any IC related content, but many are not. If help or advice is needed in this area, usually the greeter being asked will be able to, in the very least, be able to direct the explorer to another greeter who is adept in this area of discussion or someone outside of the GOG. So for those parties interested in becoming a greeter, how does one go about pursuing a membership in the GOG? Well, since we are officially sanctioned by Cyan Worlds, this also means that we have specific guidelines that must be met in order to become a greeter. These guidelines include having a good knowledge of the cavern, having explored and completed all the ages, becoming a member of the GOG forum, and have been posting for at least three months. This allows the membership staff and other greeters to become better acquainted with the prospective applicant. Uh, is also a requirement as well as having a willingness to help and be of service. We stress that becoming a greeter is not for notoriety or just to get a greeter shirt. A good greeter is selfless and hardworking, expecting nothing in return except hopefully a smile and a thank you. Uh, if I may quote from our website, Noah Gura liked the back of your hand. Consider yourself an amateur expert in some aspect of Denny culture. Do you enjoy hanging out and meeting new people? If you can answer yes to one or more of these questions, you should be part of the Guild of Greeters. We ask that all Greeters are familiar with the Mist games, and in particular have completed Uru Ages Beyond Mist. They should spend regular time in until Uru, and commit to at least one two-hour shift per week. If you meet the necessary requirements, most are usually approved easily. We insist that you read our Creed and Code of Conduct before filling out and submitting your application. You can find our Creed Code of Conduct and the Greeter application by visiting www.greetersguild.com. Are there any particular traits that the Guild of Greeter looks for in a person or a prospective member? Yes. Uh, any explorer looking to become a greeter should be friendly, adventurous, fun-loving, outgoing, helpful, be informative, know how to give hints and nudges so not to spoil, have a good attitude and a willingness to explore the ages with those who need help. They must have a good knowledgeable background about all the missed games and especially about Uru. Knowledge of the Denny culture and the language is also quite helpful. Can you offer any insight into who runs the guild, how you arrange shifts, or can you offer any other organizational information? Sure, I'd be happy to. The Guild of Greeters is organized on a tier system consisting of a Grandmaster, primary administrator, Guildmasters, assistant administrators and web staff, and greeters. 
Now I'll break this down into the three sections. Guildmasters. These individuals are chosen by process that includes each person's devoted time, effort, and expertise to supporting the GOG as a whole. Each one is voted in by the current guildmasters and then contacted. Guildmasters are then assigned to the specific areas of their expertise, i.e. assistant forum administrators, content designer, event coordinators, membership coordinator, server administrator, webmasters, etc. Our next tier would be the forum moderators and chat moderators. These individuals are chosen by the same process as above. Uh, these members are responsible for moderating the GOG forum and the GOG live chat. They make sure that the GOG forum are a safe and family-friendly atmosphere. Their responsibilities include reading the forum, moving threads and posts as needed, editing content as needed, and making sure the forum runs smoothly. And then down to the last tier, uh, greeters. Those who would like to become a greeter apply for membership and are then voted on by guildmasters, moderators, and staff. The process is handled by the membership application process and each member votes after reading the application. Applicants are determined by thoroughness of the information filled out, if they are active members of the GOG form, whether they have completed URU and the expansion packs, and are active in until URU. Upon reading the application, the applicant is then voted on with either a yes, no, or interview. A yes vote means that the applicant has filled out the application thoroughly and has met all the requirements. A no vote means that the applicant has not met some of the requirements, and an interview vote means that the applicant has met most of the requirements, but there are some areas that are questionable. If the applicant is found ineligible, do they have the opportunity to reapply? Um, yes, they are uh, encouraged to reapply, usually in three months' time. Well, Wolfie, I've run out of questions at this point. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to share with the community? Anything I didn't cover in my questions, perhaps? Well, I just want to take this opportunity to explain the origins of the Guild of Greeters, since previously we couldn't tell our history, having been bound by the NDA. When the Cavern Today contacted us, we thought this would be a perfect opportunity to bring to light much of the previously unknown information and share it with the community. We appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. Uh, thank you for asking us. Alrighty, and for the Cavern Today... This is Janathus, signing off. Now, let's step into the office where Steve will tell you a bit about what goes on here at the Cavern today. Hello, this is Steve Crocs. I thought I'd share some memories of my time at TCT. It's been a roller coaster ride, as we've discovered the return of life. Of course, not everything has gone quite to plan. Hey Steve, here's the new TCT tech segment. What? Oh, you want me to do assembly. I love assembly. You know how I love to play with the sound equipment, turn the knobs, see what everything does, splice pieces together, add music, edit the ums and the ahs, and sometimes play with the speed. Whoops. Oh, you have no idea the number of times that I've had a WAV file ready to ship, and then something's happened to ruin it, and I've just had to start assembling all over again. There's just been so many times when I wanted to scream. But... As things have gone on, we've pretty much gotten used to doing podcasts. In fact, many of us have found our little niches. Some of us have even started enjoying doing them. I remember the first podcast we, inter we interviewed Grey Piffle. Of course, not knowing of Skype and other applications, he sent a series of replies, which only loosely followed the questions we sent. 
So all of Tyon's originally pre-recorded questions, they were just so wrong, it didn't work. So I had to step in, and that's how we got our first interview done. Oh, I'll tell you, I was just so nervous. I really hate talking to people on the phone. Everyone tells me I always sound depressed. But these days, I don't mind getting the old microphone out. I actually have to admit something here. When we first interviewed Rand, I was too scared to join the Skype conversation because I was worried they'd have me talk. Of course, finding a niche can also be a bit troublesome for some people. Hello again, this is Mowag. Sometimes we have to step away from the gaming a little bit and kind of get into the more serious side of what we're doing. And with that in mind, I thought I'd share with you my love of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. No, no, that won't do. Come on, brain, think! I remember starting the new year and hearing that Ram might like to come on the show to announce something. At the time, I thought it was going to be the release of a Sign Age building tools or some new project that Sign was working on. Who thought it would be the precursor to life? I mean, that was so awesome to hear. Although I'd like to remind everyone not to get too carried away. I know I tried my hand at writing in-cavern pieces. They didn't turn out so well, though. Ah! What's going on? Why do people keep appearing out of midair? There's these strange things screeching at me. What, what, where am I? As you can tell, it didn't turn out that well. Of course, our shameless self-promotion has caused some problems in the cabin. Oh snap! What is this TCT? It's been a wild ride to get this far. We've had organisational troubles. I mean, just who's in charge of his TCT? No one knows. That's what he thinks. Um, sorry Janethus, did, did you just say something then? We've had our spats like other groups, we've been finding programs that allow us to do interviews, that'd be brilliant. Oh, and people have joined us, of course, can't forget about that. Real life has gotten in the way of some people, I know I've had to take a back seat recently due to having to do my final year project. Oh, and deadlines. Oh, how we've struggled to try and keep to the deadlines. We're getting better, but it's still not there. All in all, it's been a good 15 months. I'm looking to a nice month break after this podcast. But don't worry, we plan to come back with season 2 in December, all nice and ready for live. Should it be all new shiny TCT for you guys. Thank you very much, Steve. We are now pleased to bring you The Journey of the Called, Season 2, Episode 5. The room was quiet. Prince Avon stood looking straight ahead, his gaze fixed on the sleeping age on Tyon, Len, and Ken. But as he watched, the sound of a link could be heard. Hello again, Avon. Kriya, I was wondering when you would link in. I always hated that about you mystics. You always seem to sense things. Where are Kiral and Carrion? That is none of your concern. Of course it isn't. So, Avon... Where are the other journeyers? That is not for me to say. I see. So you don't know, then. I didn't say I did not know. I simply said it is not my place to say. Well, then, I guess I'll have to find them. Do as you wish. I hate that attitude all you mystics have. My apologies. You would apologize to your enemies? You really are a fool. Go back to your shadowed age, Kriya. I don't have time for this. And I don't have time for you and those age journeyers. I demand you stop this at once. It is not in my power to stop it. 
what? Oh, of course a mystic will not interfere in their destinies. I grow sick of your people. Hurry, my friends. Kiril. Yes, my leader. Avon is guiding the age journeyers. If the prophecy is true, they will travel to the forgotten ages of the mystics. Well, what can I do? I want you to gather the council. As you wish. Avon, you may be a mystic, but I know what lies hidden in your eyes. Kiril, you must obtain the key to entering that cave. Tyon will not reveal it to me. As it stands, there is no way. Maybe. Maybe not. Kerian? My leader, the cave is protected by light. Correct? Yes. The legend says it is protected by waves of light and... Oh, I see, Kerian. Well done. Yeah, things just got interesting. Kirill, Kerian, you know what must be done. Yes, my leader. Yes, my leader. So, the cave can be unsealed. Imagine it, Kirar. All the hidden ages. All the places we once held can be ours once again. It is truly a tempting dream. You sound as if you think we won't succeed. Uh, when we are standing in that place, then, and then I will not be concerned. <laughs> Your time with Tyon has certainly taught you to be so do you think that is a bad thing? No, not at all, Kiral. My time with Lean has taught me the same thing. Oh, yes. By the way, why were you after her? For the same reason that you were after Tyon. I was in search of the cave. I see. I will say this. She is concealing much from her friends. Oh? What is she concealing exactly? Well, you may find out someday. Hmm, I may at that. Hmm, it seems so long since this was made. Soon this will once again be filled with over a million worlds, all ruled by shadow travelers. This is nothing compared to our normal way of linking. Must we use such a primitive form? Well, do you know how to link there using our normal means? No, my leader. Then, Kerrigan, do not question my methods. Yes, my leader. Forgive me. Very well. Where are we to head? To a place I haven't set foot in for over 10,000 years. But first I must pay one more visit to a place that may soon not exist. I warn you one last time. Stop what you are doing. I have said this once and I will say it again. I cannot stop it. Very well then. You leave me no choice. It won't work, you know. And how can you be so sure about that? How can I? Because no matter how much the darkness grows, light will always destroy it with one swift sweep. Darkness can also consume the light. Do not forget that. I have not forgotten, but that is not how things will turn out. Believe what you wish, Avon. 
Farewell, Kriya. Until we meet again. I command you to halt. I do not follow the orders of a shadow traveler. And I do not listen to the words of a mystic prince. The paths concealed by the three keys lead into a world of dreams. To open the doors, the journeyers must reach dream's end. To reach dream's end is to face what lies within. But can the journeyers travel these roads? It is both possible and impossible. For each man has a choice, and that choice is his path. Now here's Anthony with a report on the outcome of the Denis Olympics. Hello, this is Anthony, field reporting for the Cavern Today, from where the Denny Games have just finished being held. For those of you who do not know, the Denny Games are a yearly, multi-day competition held in the Cavern and other ages. This year's competition consisted of the sprints, high dive, heat turning, island hops, and A to Z race. Now normally the games are held across several shards, but with the advent of Damala and the influx of new people into it, it was decided to hold all the games there. Sadly though, due to the problems in the sea, all games that normally would have been held there, such as the marathon and the 5k run, had to be cancelled. This year, the competition was split over two days, Saturday and Sunday, with the first three events on Saturday and the others on Sunday. Saturday started with the high dive. This event, held in the wonderful age of Gira, is not your typical dive. In the Gira high dive, you give the judges a set of actions you plan to execute on, before, during, and after the dive. You are awarded points on the difficulty of the actions, how well they are executed, and what actions you do. Now, this year, the competitors were Fairloon, Rila, and Golden Wedge, and they had quite the tight competition with only one point separating them. In the end, Golden Wedge pulled it out by getting a total of 15 points. In second was Veriloon, who achieved the silver with a respectable 14.5, and third, with the bronze, went to Rila, who came in with 14 points. Next event of the day was the sprints. The sprints, held in chemo, as you might expect, are a short-duration race. You start in the Lincoln Point in chemo and sprint to the end of the age with the Gira linking book. Now in previous years this race was run with groups in a number of heats to reach the finals, then a final heat to get the top three places. Well this year there have been two major changes to the race. Due to the lag generated in previous times, they now have everyone run individually, and rather than run heats to reach the finals, the competitors now get a total of three runs to run each. The best time of the runs is recorded and marked as your time for the sprint, and the competitors with the best times at the end of the race come in first through third. The race was quite the exciting one, with Rila, Vid, Lelinor, and Ivy racing. It ended up coming right down to the wire with all the contestants coming in within five seconds of each other and Vid coming in with a come-from-behind win in the last run with a time of one minute and 67 hundredths of a second. In second place, right behind him was Lilanor with a run of one minute, one second, and 29 hundredths of a second. Right behind, only two hundredths of a second later, was Ivy with a time of one minute, one second, and 31 hundredths of a second. As I said, it was quite the exciting race. 
I managed to get a hold of one of the runners, Rila, shortly after the race. He stated that he was surprised, but pleasantly so, that the events were so big, and that he really enjoyed his time in the events. He wanted to thank Rex Havoc for setting up the event and providing the opportunity for him to run. Now, the next event of the day was the Heek Tourney. In the Heek Tourney, you play a fairly complicated game of what would be considered rock, paper, and scissors. But instead of playing with rocks, papers, and scissors in hand signals, you use bugs, pens, and books. Now, this event would happen to be one of the longest of the day, with a total of four rounds. With the first two rounds, the preliminary rounds, deciding who gets to go into the gold and bronze finals rounds. Now, the preliminary rounds have three matches to them maximum. First person to win two matches wins the round. Competing in this were Rila, Hannah Gertie, Allmist, and Verilune. In the first two rounds, both were won in two matches by Verilune being beat by Hannah Gertie and Rila by Allmist. With that, the bronze medal round came down to Verilune versus Rila, and the gold medal round came down to Hannah Gertie versus Allmist. Now, these rounds differ in one major way with the preliminaries. The first person to win three matches out of the five possible matches wins the game. Now, the first match came for gold. It was Hannah versus Allmist. It was a humdinger. It came all the way down to the wire. It ended up being Allmist with three matches versus Hannah Gertie's two. The last round was won by Allmist with three pens, one bug, and one book versus Hannah Gertie's one bug. The bronze medal match, while not as exciting, ended up being won by Rila with three matches to Verilune's one. Thus giving us all missed gold, Hannah Gertie silver, Rila coming in with the bronze. With that and plenty of celebration, we ended day one. Day two began bright and early on the island in the mist, Relto. The first activity of the day was the island hops. Now the basic principle of the island hops is this. You attempt to hop from island to island as many times as possible. Now you get three tries and the highest number of hops is the one that gets recorded down. Now if you manage to fall while attempting to make a jump that is counted as the end of one of your tries. The person with the most hops at the end of the game wins gold. Competing in this event were Mark Dev, Rila, and Delanor. It ended with Delanor coming out on top with 51 hops, Mark Dev in second with 47, and Rila in third place. With this we come to the last event and the signature event of this year's Denny Games, the A to Z race. The A to Z race works like this. It's a race to see who can finish a game of Uru Prime the fastest. You go from the cleft and the first person to come back to the Denny Games hood with the Zandy shirt wins. People are allowed to compete as teams or as individuals. In this competition we had Hannah Gertie and Darkstar competing as individuals and the teams of Team Mark, 
and team groomers competing against groups. This race had its fair share of highs and lows. Many of the team members ended up returning early once they achieved their goals of prepping their ages for their team captains in order not to cause more trouble than they helped solve. Team groomers ended up coming in first with a record time of 1 hour 11 minutes being Rawa's old record in the A to Z race. In second place came Team Mark, which due to several delays caused by problems in their ages, came in with a time of 1 hour 19 minutes. Next, in third place came Hannah Gertie, with a time of 2 hours 54 minutes complete. And in fourth place came Darkstar, who was unable to complete and had to drop due to feature slash bugs in his ages, sadly. And with that, the Dean Games came to a close. Great times were had by all, and we had a wonderful competition this year. Now, if you would like to learn more about the Dinny Games, or how to help with them, please visit the website at http colon slash slash www.dinny-olympics.info Finally, I'd like to thank Rex for putting up with me long enough to cover this event. This is Anthony for TCT, signing off. Thank you very much, Anthony. And now, uh, it, it seems Dawkins on the line. He seems a bit impatient, so we'd better get right over to him. This is Dawkins Starbine with an in-cavern news update. It's October 31st, and all the spooks have decided to have a holiday down here in the cavern. As I'm reporting, there are about a dozen ghosts and ghouls in the city commons alone, and more frights running around the city and neighborhoods. Some are disguised as admins, running around with blue, green, and other colored skin. Others have decided to show themselves as creepy black shadow avatars. Ghostly doppelgangers of explorers and cells float around in the air, walking or swimming several feet above the ground. Cones appear and disappear out of nowhere. It's madness, I tell you. Madness! You can hear low moans and cries all over the cavern. And even when you think you're the only one around, you can still hear indistinct voices and noises. Reports have come in that explorers find themselves warped to different areas of the cavern or crash unexpectedly. And some even say their friends disappeared while talking to someone they can't see and never reappeared. It isn't yet sunset up on the surface, but that doesn't seem to matter down here. Beware if you take a trip to the cavern this evening. All Hollow's Eve has come early. And now, I'm going to get out of here before they notice the, the guy in the pumpkin hat and cheap clothes isn't one of their own. Come down for a Halloween party at your own risk. I had better be getting a bonus in my paycheck for this. Oh no, they've spotted me for the cavern today. This is... Ah! Hmm, something went wrong with the line. Well, maybe his batteries went dead or something. Oh well, until we find out what happened to him, enjoy Jungle City by Ian Moreland.
Hi, this is Mowak again, bringing you the third installment in our series, The Journals of Toraneko, based on the in-character journals kept by explorer and TCT teammate Toraneko during her adventures in Uru. As before, spoilers have been edited out. Each installment will cover a specific age. Last time we shared Tora's adventures in Relto and Teladon. In this chapter, we'll join Tora in Garrison. I'll be playing the part of the explorer who finds Tora's journals, and Galen will portray Tora. So sit back and enjoy. For Uru veterans, think back to your own first time in the ages. And for new explorers, think of these journals as your preview to the wonderful adventures to come. So, Tora's experiences in Teladon were <laughs> a lot like mine. So many mysteries to solve. The constant smell of mushrooms and swamp water, that ghastly prison cell, and the eerie, plaintive call of Shroomy. Ah well, on to her next chapter. Let's see here. Looks like her next adventure was in the Fortress Age of Greeson. Let's see what she has to say. reason. I've linked into a building of some sort. It looks like a prison. Maybe it won't be so bad after I get out of this antechamber. Nope. The Lincoln spot was more open than these blasted corridors. And I do mean blasted. It looks like a huge earthquake must have ripped this building apart after it was abandoned. And the doors not blocked open don't work. No big surprise there, though. Darn DRC blockades. What did they do? Cement them to the ground? Ooh, my poor toe. I have my key now. If that sign by the Lincoln Point meant this watch-like thing, but what does it do? Ah, note to self. Try a running jump next time. On the bright side, I found another Relto page. I took a quick detour through Relto. Sticks and stones? That's it? I wonder if perhaps these Relto pages you shall leave somehow represent the environment they are found in. In which case, maybe Yisha is making a statement about all the rubble and runes in Garrison. I kicked them around for a bit before leaving them in, shall we say, strategic places. What do the Chinese call it? Feng Shui? Never could spell that, much less understand the concept beyond furniture rearrangement. Do sticks and stones count as furniture when it comes to Relto? Anyway, back to the fallen fortress. Guys who built this place seem to have been obsessed with beetles for some reason. There are stylized beetles everywhere, especially these lockers. More rubble. I feel like a circus acrobat climbing around through here. Or maybe I'm in an Indiana Jones movie. What's with the spinning wall? Oh goody. More silent machinery I probably have to turn on to get farther. 
And like Teladon, it'll probably be loud. Okay, break time. That was way too much running back and forth for me, but I'm definitely not sitting in this room. It's louder than Teladon. Hey, the door's open for me now. And I found an elevator. At last, fresh air and open sky. Why on earth? I mean, why on the reason did these people build these spinning fortresses in this age? Why not in a more barren and desolate one? The lush forest out here is beautiful. After a lot of jumping, waiting for the bridges, and more jumping, I've made it into the second fortress. I found a couple of DRC notebooks. They were quite informative. The reason is a prison, a maintainer's age. That's very disturbing. I mean, I know all societies have prisons for their criminals, but walking around in one of the maintainer training fortresses in the same age is a little too close for comfort for me. Now to finish this age. The linking stone takes me to a cell. Yuck. There are bones and shackles. A rail toe page is on one of the beds. I'm glad I linked into a cell with the manhole in the floor open. I've found a ladder. It leads me down. I swear I will never be a criminal. I can't stand this prison, let alone guarded and locked ones. Another door. Another room. Another ladder. Finally, the last journey cloth. And a view of the outside. This prison feels like it's in another part of the age. No way in or out except by linking book or linking stone. I thought I was in another part of the age altogether until the building had rotated to show the other fortress. Going through Relto on my way back to the journey door, I see what the page in the cell gave me. It transformed the spire of rock behind my hut into a waterfall. A small pool at its base trickles off the cliff in streamlets down through the clouds. If the last page reflected the runes of the fortresses, then this one speaks of the great forest with its rivers, waterfalls, beyond the bars of the prisons. The Barrow Cave Yisha speaks to me again, in the cave of the least. The mysterious blue flames flicker casting strange light and moving shadows on the walls. In a way, it's creepy. Yet it's also mesmerizing. So dark and strangely comforting. A shadow place to hide. I take the pillar. I take the stomach-settling Pepto-Bismol. I take the plunge. And so concludes another installment of The Journals of Torin Echo. Join us next time as the journey continues. 
We'd like to thank Cyan Worlds for the music and sound effects heard in these episodes. Thank you also to Tora and Echo for writing the journals, to Galen for providing Tora's voice, and to Moag for narrating an assembly. Until next time, Shora. Before we let you go, we'd like to extend a special thank you to Rand Miller for joining us once again, and to C.A. Greywolf for tolerating Janathus. We'll keep a better eye on him next time, Wolfie. Of course, we must credit Supergram for getting Rand on the phone, and also for distracting Wolfie while Janathus found his pen and paper. We're also really grateful for the continued use of LCC's music for our podcasts. For Delanor's continued musical support via the music bank he's provided on our server, and Ian Moreland's latest enjoyable piece, Jungle City. Next month, the Cavern Today staff will be taking a much-needed break from podcasting until December. Meanwhile, we'll be regrouping, think-tanking, and generally figuring out how to leave you with the impression that our podcasts are worth at least twice what you paid for them. And so ends Podcast 20. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs>